That'll be our, our confession for this series, just as we um, are looking at, um, we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes. Uh, I mentioned last week we closed out our, our Kingdom Come series with saints and sinners, um, that we as believers are still uh, sinners, we still sin, and yet we are declared saints, we're declared righteous in Christ, and so uh, what does that look like? And we're told to expect victory don't be surprised by the struggle because we still wrestle with uh, a flesh that's been trained by um, the things of this world. Uh, and three, to take heart, that Jesus tells us to take heart. And so that's how we closed out our series last week. Uh, we're starting a new book, um, a new series this morning through the book of Ecclesiastes. Our series is called Chasing Meaning. Uh, we're going to see this theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a, a wisdom book in the Old Testament. And so you can start turning there if you've got a hard copy of the, of the Bible in front of you uh, or scrolling there if you're using your phone or something. Um, the author of Ecclesiastes calls himself the preacher or teacher. Uh, he's also referred to as Koheleth throughout the book. Koheleth means convener or assembler, um, most likely of students or listeners, right? And so this person has some things to say, and so they're gathering people to speak them. And so they use that term, convener or assembler. Uh, could also mean collector, uh, perhaps of wisdom, right? I've collected this wisdom and this knowledge to, to pass on. Verse 1 also tells us uh, that this preacher's son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so that clue, it's a pretty uh, strong one. Along with all the experiences and resources that we see the author having throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, point us to King Solomon, uh, son of David, as the author. There's still some question and debate about whether it was actually Solomon. I believe it was Solomon, and so I'll probably refer often among these other names, uh, to the author as Solomon. Um, the preacher was seemingly on a quest for meaning. What is the meaning of life? Where is fulfillment found? Uh, an exhaustive pursuit of meaning, as we'll see in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is not a new pursuit, right? This is a quest, a search that's as old as mankind and hasn't gone anywhere. It's been around since the beginning of time. It still continues today. People are always looking for what is the meaning of life, or where do I find meaning in life? Where do I find fulfillment? Um, as recent as 2017, a Pew Research Center study surveyed American adults, uh, so I might use that phrase a couple of times, because in this survey it was American adults, surveyed and asked where they found meaning in life. The top three answers were family, with a strong 70% of those surveyed mentioning family as a source of meaning, Career was second, and money third, or finances. Uh, I'll mention, I will mention that coming in fourth was faith and spirituality. 20% of those surveyed mentioned faith and spirituality as a source of meaning. But there's an interesting angle to that stat, and I'll talk about that later on, um, kind of a next-level stat that goes along with that. Um, but the majority of American adults find meaning in family, career, and money, or finances. But not everyone has a great family or career or financial situation. Um, so are they incapable of fulfillment, right? That's kind of what uh, the American idea seems to point us to, that if we aren't thriving financially or uh, have the family that we've always dreamed of and things are flourishing the way that we think they should be, uh, or career-wise, then our life is without meaning or fulfillment. Um, I think we see this in America. Uh, among American adults, that if these three things are not what the expectation is, then people feel unfulfilled or lack meaning. But that can't be the case, right? There's just, uh, that can't be where meaning is found in life. Um, not just for Americans, but for the rest of the world. Because uh, 
There are things that limit sometimes career or finances or family situations, things beyond our control. Uh, many think that's where fulfillment and meaning is found, but it can't be. The moral of Ecclesiastes, which is summed up in today's passage, will show us that there is no real fulfillment or meaning in this world. Today, we'll look at the first 11 verses of chapter 1, which will set the foundation for the rest of the series, um, this theme of searching for meaning, and we'll see, time and time again, searching for meaning but coming up with nothing. Like I mentioned before a couple weeks ago, it's a real happy-go-lucky jaunt, right, through the musings of someone who had unlimited resources and still determined that there seems to be nothing of value in this world. Uh, so let's dive in and see if this is the case, right? <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So the first thing we read after kind of an introduction in verse 1 is that all is vanity. The first point, all is vanity. The word vanity here is used 30, in 30 verses throughout Ecclesiastes and refers to a mist or a vapor or like smoke or a breath. It's, it's something you can see but never really grab. It's, it's observable but not attainable. It's enticing but it's elusive. The preacher is coming in hot with this mic drop statement right from the jump. All is vanity. Nothing matters, right? If you replace vanity with kind of that vapor in verse 2, vapor of vapors, says the preacher, vapor of vapors, all is vapor or smoke or mist. Just everything is just this nothing, right? Um, I don't know if you've seen uh, cotton candy dipped in water, uh, but it just dissolves, it disappears. And there's a really funny video, probably multiple, on the internet of a raccoon. And they give this raccoon cotton candy, and he goes over because raccoons wash their food. And so the ra I think it's a raccoon, yeah, not a chimpanzee or something. And it goes over to the creek, and it has this big thing of cotton candy, and it dips it in to wash it, and, it's, and he's like, anyway, super confused because it disappears. Um, that's kind of the picture we're getting here with meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, vapor, vapor, everything is vapor, right? You think you have this great thing and you can see it and you can almost kind of touch it and then it's gone. Now, the rest of the book is going to present the categories, the different paths or pursuits, kind of more specific things that Koheleth explored in order to find meaning, but he leads with his conclusion here in chapter one, right? Kind of spoils it from the beginning. It's almost like a parent when they tell their kids, like, this is a bad decision and here's what's going to happen, and you still have to kind of watch your kids make those bad decisions because they just don't want to take your word for it. Um, so Koheleth tells us in chapter one, like, it, nothing matters. 
trust me. But because you're not going to take my word for it, here's the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes where I detail how I pursued all the things that you think are going to bring fulfillment to your life and how they come up empty. And so that's how the rest of the book is going to go. Now, you may have already guessed that there's some kind of catch. There has to be a catch to this, or why would this be a book in the Bible to say that nothing matters, right? Why would we spend eight weeks looking at the fact that everything is meaningless? It doesn't sound very encouraging, and you'd be right. The catch here, the qualifier that Solomon tags a couple of times in this passage, and then the rest of the book we'll see it mentioned as well, this term under the sun, that all is vanity under the sun. It's a recurring theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. So all is vanity, but really, he's saying all is vanity under the sun. And that's point number two. All is vanity under the sun. Consider the questions posed and the phrases used in verses 3 through 11 to describe the monotony and futility of this world. First, considering what, what does a man gain from all of his work in this world? What does anyone really have to show for their trouble in the long run? If life and meaning are restricted to this physical, broken world, there is no real meaning or lasting reward in the work we do. Someone forgot to tell the 70% of people surveyed in 2017, right, that work, career is not the source of meaning. Because if that's where it ends, there's no lasting meaning in that. Solomon goes on to describe how older generations pass on and younger generations rise up in their place. And this pattern continues and has continued, right, since the beginning of time keep coming and going, eventually becoming forgotten while the world keeps spinning. And as special as we like to think we are and as unique and separate from the other generations we like to think we are, whatever generation you might be in, we're just like the other generations directly before and after us and all the generations before us and after us uh, throughout time uh, immemorial, is that how you say it? And in perpetuity moving forward, uh, people are people. Listen to this quote about children. Speaking of children, they have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect to their elders. When do you think this was said? Early 2000s, the 90s, the 50s, maybe the 1800s. Try Socrates during 5th century BC. Not just 5th century, 5th century BC. Speaking of children, they have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect to their elders. Uh, so nothing has changed, right, in all of these years. Um, and who do those children grow up to be? Us, right, who say the same things about our children. And so it's the same old, same old. Generation comes, a generation goes. People are people. Nothing's new. Even creation expresses repetition. In verse 5, we read about the sun rising and setting. And the term he uses here says, hastening back to rise again to the place where it rises that term literally means returns panting. Uh, now, of course, you know, the, the sun's not the one moving and yada, yada. But uh, the picture here is that he's saying, like, the sun rises, the sun sets, and it just comes back. Like, every day it's the same thing. Every day. And almost painting this picture of the sun who's just toiling in vain to rise and set every day. It's like a, a hamster on a wheel that just runs and runs and doesn't go anywhere, right? Or Sisyphus in Greek mythology, rolling his boulder up the hill only to see it roll back down and do the same thing again every day. It's exhausting. It's draining. There's no real significance or progress being made. Uh, similar ideas are presented here about the wind in verse 6 and streams in verse 7. Wind that just keeps blowing around the earth. It just keeps going and going. 
streams that never stop flowing. There's no stopping point, right? They flow into the sea, but the sea never is filled. It's never, okay, that's enough. That stream can stop. It's just perpetual flowing. And so uh, you can see the, the wisdom of Koheleth already. Um, and it's, again, it's a dark picture he's painting to say, look at all these things that you might think, oh, beautiful sunrise, beautiful sunset. You know, and he's like, the sun comes up, goes down every day, same thing. This beautiful river, yeah, it just keeps flowing. What's the meaning? Like it never stops. It just continues to flow. It's so tiring to consider, so tiring that he, in verse 8, says, it's so tiring, man cannot utter it. Like, I just don't have anything else to say about how tiresome this repetition appears to be. And it's not just nature and work, right, or toil, as he says. In the second half of verse 8 and into verse 9, the preacher speaks to how the eyes and ears are never satisfied. And not just saying that they're never satisfied because there's... um, He's saying because there's nothing new to satisfy them, right? It's not like, oh, we just haven't found what it is that will, will satisfy my eyes and ears. He's saying there's nothing new that can satisfy your eyes and ears. So they're continually looking, continually listening, hoping that something will satisfy. It's not a matter of searching for what's out there. It's a matter of searching and never stopping because there is no fulfillment to be found. Whew. This is the equivalent of channel surfing, Right? Um, or now, a more modern context might be you have all these titles to stream and just look and look and look and you never find what you want to watch. Or on your phone, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Or watching a YouTube video and just keep watching the recommended YouTube videos after that. Never saying, that's the, that's the one I wanted to see. That's all I wanted to see and now I'm done, right? And walking away. There's no shortage of media. There's no lack of things to look at or listen to and yet it's never enough. Why is this? It's never enough because there's nothing new in the world anyway. The list of new ideas was already completed, apparently, even in the time of Solomon. And we're not talking about technological advances, right? We're talking about just human nature. The themes of history, war, peace, love, hate, the rise and fall of empires and civilizations, the search for meaning and significance, none of it is new They've all been done before. And they'll be done again as long as this broken world exists. Solomon is trying to save us the heartache of pursuing these things. It's a cautionary tale, right? Letting us know that it's all vanity under the sun. And this truth would leave us hopeless and discouraged and in the dark forever if it weren't for God. And I mean a real authentic faith and abiding in Jesus. There's a real fulfillment in Christ. There is meaning to life in Christ. Remember that stat from earlier, the Pew Research Study, that said American adults find meaning in family, work, and money. And the fourth most mentioned thing was faith and religion. That's pretty respectable. But there was a next level stat that I found in this same article, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. It was kind of a sliding scale that showed two different things that was uh, assessed when surveyed. When asked which of the sources of meaning were the most important, so do you find meaning in this list of things? Yes, okay, of this list of things, which are the most important? Faith was second on the list. But compared to which sources actually provided a great deal of meaning, quote, great deal of meaning, faith was seventh out of eight. So this tells me that people consider the idea of faith 
And finding meaning in faith and spirituality, very important. Oh, faith is very important to me. Spirituality, it's very important to me. Second most among all the things that I find meaning in. Okay, well, of those things, which really give you a great deal of fulfillment or meaning? Faith was towards the bottom of the list. They aren't finding meaning or fulfillment in faith or spirituality. That would be spirituality under the sun or limited to this world. But see, in Christ, we're not limited to under the sun. This is point number three. In Christ, we're not limited to under the sun. The phrase under the sun is really intentional by Solomon here. He gives us a context. Under the sun is temporary. Under the sun has a ceiling. The sun is not above God. God is above the sun. Revelation tells us that in the new earth, the glory of God is far superior to the light and power of the sun. God is not temporary. He has no ceiling. So if we recognize God and his eternal purposes for us, we can look at life through the lens of eternity in light of Jesus. We can look at all that is under the sun in the proper perspective. It all would be meaningless apart from God's purposes. But there is a God. And because he loves us and has a plan for us, it actually brings meaning to everything. We talked about this during our kingdom series. Everything under the sun exists to point us to God who is above the sun. Solomon asked in verse 3, what a man gains from his toil in the world. Jesus, many, many years later, would ask in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Because everything in this world is not the prize. This is what um, Solomon's going to spend the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes spelling out for us. Seeking fulfillment and the prize, the reward in the things of this world. But that is not the prize. If we could gather it all up like Solomon did, keep it to ourselves, we'd still be missing out and still be unfulfilled. A soul apart from Jesus is lost and unfulfilled. Our souls find their worth in Christ. See, by faith, we're given new life in Jesus. When we recognize we're spiritually bankrupt, we have nothing to offer, nothing to give, and we've offended this holy God, and not just recognize that we're sinners in need of that grace, but then by faith, surrender all that we are to that holy God, that's faith in Christ, then we're saved. We're saved. We're rescued from darkness and into marvelous light, Scripture tells us. We're saved from eternal torment and into eternal flourishing with him. We're repurposed for eternity beyond what's under the sun. Now, sadly, we're so easily distracted by what's under the sun. We think we can find the meaning or fulfillment in this world. But we don't profit anything from gaining this world. You see, we don't realize that because none of us can ever gain the whole world, right? That's why we have the benefit of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who considered himself, right, he had these basically unlimited resources, could come to us and say, you think you'll find fulfillment if only you had this. I had that. Oh, well, maybe it's over here. You you think fulfillment then is in this thing over here. I had that too. Name anything under the sun, and I've had it. And it did not satisfy. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us. And so we need to stop trying to gather for our thing, ourselves things under the sun and realize our fulfillment will only come through Christ. 
And in finding fulfillment in Christ, we don't walk around as believers saying, meaningless, meaningless, there's no point to any of this stuff. We say, if it weren't for Christ, there'd be no point to any of this stuff. But because there is a God, and because we are followers of Christ, we can look at the Son and say, that's beautiful. And that beauty reminds me that I have a creator God who is creative and has written beauty into our hearts, an appreciation for beauty into our hearts. And I can look at rivers and streams and all of creation like Solomon did and say, if it weren't for God, this is all pointless, and say, how amazing is our creator and how much more amazing must the new earth be that he has in store for us if this earth, which is so beautiful in so many ways, is broken and dying. There must be something so much greater. The only way, though, that we really profit or gain, as Solomon would say, is if we are going to share this eternity with Jesus. And we will if we surrender to him in faith. So chapter one, all is vanity. But because we have the rest of the book for context and the rest of the Bible as context, we can say Solomon's trying to tell us that everything under the sun is pointless and meaningless if God isn't real and if God does not have a plan for us. But because he is real and because he does have plans and purposes for us, everything matters. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this truth. And and while we can uh, look at it today and and proclaim it today, it's, it's not always easy to remember this moment by moment, day in and day out. We are constantly searching for meaning and fulfillment in the things of this world. We are constantly sidetracked and convincing ourselves or being convinced by the world that there is something here under the sun that will bring meaning, lasting meaning and fulfillment. God, I pray that you would, you would lift our eyes past what we see around us, through what we see around us, so that we would see it in light of eternity, in light of your plans and purposes, in light of what you are trying to show us about yourself through this creation, through this world. where true meaning and fulfillment is found. It can't be family, career, and finances, Lord. It must be in something greater. We praise you and thank you that you are not under the sun, that you are over and above the sun, that you are sovereign over the sun, that you created the sun as powerful and immense and other and out there as the sun is. It wouldn't be if you hadn't created it. And as big and powerful and other as you are, you still know us and you love us and you desire fellowship with us. I pray, Lord, that those who have not trusted in Christ by salvation and found this fulfillment would realize their need for you and this grace that can be found. I pray, Lord, for those who are followers of Jesus, who have trusted by faith, that we would stop seeking fulfillment and meaning in the things of this world, the things under the sun. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving meaning to life, meaning to this creation, and for offering us true fulfillment through your son, Jesus. 
It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.